Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Uh, on the podcast today, we have Dr. Evan August. Welcome to the show, Evan. Uh, so nice. Thank, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, awesome. Super pleasure. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that I'm producing this podcast on the territories of the uh, Klamen, Homoko, Klehus, and uh, Comox First Nations, uh, who were who are sister nations, and were I don't think one community, but were definitely one 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 larger nation before we came in and uh, separated them into reserves. Um, I learned recently that uh, uh, the four sister nations, uh, the Tulaman, which is sort of the closest to me, um, um, all, all share the same language, and so that's interesting. And so I'm, 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 I've been wanting to learn a bit of the language, just to sort of out, out of a sense of respect. And so it's nice to know that I only have to maybe learn one, uh, and, <laughs> and not four. Um, so that's been kind of cool. But just grateful to be able to, uh, you know, be able to produce the podcast here and. Uh, and, uh, and 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 reside in these lands, which um, which my ancestors stole from these folks. Before we get kind of into kind of into the, the sort of the breadth of your amazing research, um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about kind of um, your origin story of kind of getting into the field of psychology and 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 kind of towards the work you're doing now. Oh man, of course, and. It's interesting. Uh, I tell people when I, when I do these podcasts, when I do the the presentations and interviews, uh, I feel like all of our stories are, are, are so much more complex than the often the linearity we 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 uh, you know explain in these settings. Yeah. And so, if I were to talk about it, it would be like again a splash of uh, you know a lot of the family dynamics that we all kind of observe coming up that initially lead us to want to investigate more deeply, right? Why do people do what they do? Mm -hmm. uh, how could I help? How could I shift this? How is it impacting me? Um, some of the early coursework that, that, that opened those doors up for me. Um, if I were to, again, examine, I guess, what opened the door for the, the, the questions that I wanted to, to answer, I think about, uh, for me, being in college, seeing the Trayvon Martin trial and being completely caught off guard with the results, right? So that was, I believe that was me heading into my senior year in college. So I'd taken my psychology courses. I knew I was gonna be a psychology major. So that was no different. But again, examining all the evidence, following the trial, uh, having read the some of the scholarship and not understanding the um, I guess the the pessimism that the elders in my family had, I, I didn't understand that. Mm. And then when it happened, just being shaken. And as many people know, in, in the years that followed, that that was the launch of the Black Lives Matter movement, the kind of renewed uh, urgency with which people were approaching the harms and the the, the traumas of policing, the inadequacy. And the violence of policing and the impacts collectively, spiritually, individually, it was having on uh, disproportionately Black peoples. And so that is what kind of opened the door for the questions that I wanted to 
get a better sense of like how does mm. this kind of cultural racial trauma manifest and beyond the individual level, right? How are these structures, right, reflective of historical traumas that continue to reproduce the, the same kind of violence that people would outwardly reject, but again, are still participating and complicit in? So a very long yeah. kind of winding answer to the question, but yeah. that's what kind of initially got my passions where they are today. Right on. And then... What 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 was your schooling? What did that look like? Where'd you go and what'd of you course, focus on? Yeah, yeah. so uh, I went to Middlebury College in Vermont. It's a small mm. liberal arts school. So yeah, yeah. I was there for a few years. Uh, while I was there, I started again, like uh, really investing in my interest in psychology. I went to uh, Haiti to shadow a psychiatrist the year mm. following the earthquake, wow. and I did some clinical work there. And that wow. was impactful. Yeah. It was, again, noting all the critiques we have of psychotherapy for people immediately after some type of trauma like that. But at the time, for me to see what human connection, simple human connection can do for somebody who lost everything. Yeah. Uh, it was world changing. Right? So I knew at that point that I, I want to do something at the very least adjacent to that. Um, hmm. And so, again, taking the coursework, doing the studies, um, I did a lot of uh, kind of qualitative research at um, at NYU Steinhardt, I believe, my hmm. heading into my senior year, and the qualitative piece also made the research come alive. Sometimes I feel like we introduce research to people in such a cold, mechanical way that people yes. lose the fact that often. We're working with people's stories, like every single questionnaire, every single answer, every single number you see is somebody's story. Yeah. So for me, being able to see that, to sit and talk with somebody, then to watch it get coded, to see the complexity that was the numbers were at the very least attempting to capture, mm -hmm. again, gave this whole new light. So knowing I want to do the clinical piece, knowing I want to do the research piece, I kind of graduated with my eyes set on clinical psychology. Yeah, um, I was at NYU for two years in a public health lab, just getting my research experience up. And I started at Fordham University in 2016 under the mentorship of uh, Keith Cruz in uh, hmm. his Juvenile Justice and Forensic Psychology Lab. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> really cool. So what's, uh, so you're now, where, where are you now? So what, what what's your role today? Of course. So. I just completed, so you're talking to me a week after I finished my first semester as an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. So oh, amazing. that's where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. Right on, right on. And so what's what's your kind of focus there? What, do you, what, what kind of work are you doing? What kind of classes you're teaching? What's yeah. that about? Oh, it's fantastic. So in terms of teaching, I get to teach the psychology of the Black experience, which is a class I could teach with my eyes closed. <laughs> and it's so fun. It's so yeah. fun to get to introduce uh, students to an entire field of inquiry that they had no idea existed. Yeah. Uh, psychology is often so narrow in its scope of scholars that they recognize, narrow in the scope of tradition it honors. And so for a lot of students, especially Black students who I haven't been able to see themselves in the theory they're learning. Yeah. They've tried to kind of rearrange the teachings that are supposed to be universal, but they know in the lived experience don't fit. 
right, perfectly into their, uh, their their lives to introduce them to the theories that were that emerged right, from the very experiences that they're navigating. Mm. It's it's amazing. It's so fun. Uh, the conversations that people bring up, the the, the critique, right, the, the debate people will have about it. That's that's why I love. Right? That's why I love. So and that's why I get to do. That's why I teach. How long has that course kind of been in existence? Do you think? Oh, that I cannot tell you. Um, again, I think it's like semester. decades or just think, not yeah, that long. Or yeah, it can't can have been longer than like the last five years or so. But mm. again, that's a guess. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, I guess, more wondering, and and, and you know, and, and obviously, you don't know what's going on at all the other universities, but you know, and we're gonna because. I think a lot of what we're going to be talking about today um, is kind of a lead up to to this course um, in some mm-hmm. ways um, and the stuff you're teaching and, and you know, essentially, you know, similarly to sort of history in, in, in America uh, being so inaccurate taught for so many years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I imagine psychology was, too, based on some of the work I've read of yours. Um, I'm, I'm wondering sort of, you know, have other universities maybe gone into this long ago or is this is this something that's that's sort of you know a 21st century sort of sort of deal oh i have to shout out in this conversation florida a m university mm. uh, it's a historically black college in uh yes. florida is one of the uh first i believe it is the first black psychology program uh that exists point blank period Mm. And so they've been doing that for, I don't know, I don't know if it's the last like 20, 30 years wow. where they've held conferences, uh, have been home to a lot of the seminal scholars in the field of black psychology. So they've really been a uh, landmark historically in terms yeah. of generating scholars to continue to push the field forward and holding the history there in an academic institution. So um, again, shout out to Florida A&M University. At other universities, I mean, I went through, I, I talked about Middlebury. You you already know. I don't need to tell anybody listening. If they know Middlebury, they know it wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Fordham University, I did not get any exposure to any of that. So hmm. as part of the issue, right, is as a lot of psychology programs have tried to integrate their theory, um, a Within the Association of Black Psychologists, which we'll talk about, we call it a jegnaship. We call it jenga. We don't say mentor. One of my jegnas says that people teach the integrationist theory. So mm-hmm. some of the theorists who come from a multicultural paradigm, which is important. Right? It, it's, it's been extremely influential. Uh, she says they often leave out the, the more radical paradigm. So Black psychology, which emerges as both a rejection and a movement through Right, uh, traditional psychology tends not to be taught. Right, the scholarship mm-hmm. um, it, it tends not to be integrated into a lot of the the teaching, the schooling, the research that people do. To the point where I'm about to have this conversation with you. I'll tell you when I go to a lot of these different conferences that aren't black psychology conferences, they act like I'm bringing them fire from the mountain because they're like, <laughs> "Oh, this exists. This is real." Wow. Like, oh, wow, you're so great. I'm like, I'm the, listen, I hope to be great. But the stuff I'm talking to you about has been going on for like the last 50, 60 years. So yeah, yeah. this is nothing new. 
Are you a solopreneur running your business alone and need help getting more exposure to your target audience while growing your brand? At Beal Marketing Group, we specialize in delivering comprehensive marketing solutions tailored to your unique needs. Our team of seasoned experts excels in crafting creative strategies that captivate your target audience, build brand authority, generate high-quality leads, and streamline your business processes. Whether you're seeking a brand makeover, effective lead generation, or a plug-and-play solution that takes care of everything for you, we have you covered. Services can include strategy sessions, video editing, social media management, brand board development, and even a virtual assistant. When you choose Beal Marketing Group, you're partnering with a team of passionate professionals who treat your business as our own. We go above and beyond to understand your goals, target audience, and unique challenges to craft tailor-made strategies that produce remarkable results. Schedule your free discovery call today at bmgfreeconsult.com. That's bmgfreeconsult.com. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. And uh, the first secret word is Haiti. A couple of things that resonated for me right away was first off your reference to FAMU and, and kind of how early, early on they were doing things. That doesn't surprise me. One of the one of the one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on the on the podcast, um, you know, one, you know, I, I've talked about just wanting to sort of expand my audience to and, and kind of learn more just about psychology in general. Um, uh, I've been doing a lot of work in kind of in behavior analysis around with 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 black behavior analysts and kind of trying to uplift and hear those voices. Um, and I think there's, uh, and as as kind of we said already, there's you know there's a lot of parallels between all these fields. We kind of create these. In artificial mm-hmm. borders and boundaries between our fields and you know that's a, that's a big problem in and of itself um um but also just because there's a lot of things that are happening in behavior analysis from the black perspective are are oh have only been happening in the last sort of five to ten years um you know mm-hmm. before that there was you know uh, there was literally one man uh dr richard spates um uh, mm-hmm. who was who's basically probably the first black behavior analyst but also the last for a long time after that um mm-hmm. um uh, still around and and uh he's coming on the podcast actually an amazing guy but but just he was alone for many years sort of mm-hmm. um you know um, um uh, uh, doing that sort of thing and so just to sort of see the see the comparisons you know sort of encourage these folks and 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 kind of give them some other sort of context and other folks they can maybe come to for for ideas and learning and whatnot. Um, and one thing that's happening, right, this is, it might be this year. Uh, if it's not this year, it's next year for sure. I think is FAMU is doing the first uh, behavior analysis program in a historically black college university. Um, um, and a, a couple of the, I think a couple of the board members of BABA, the Black Applied Behavior Analysis Association mm-hmm. are kind of involved in that. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that, uh, that, that, yeah. that, that, that they're the leaders in, in this sort of thing. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, I want to talk about, um, kind of some, some broad topics. I feel like you're a guest. I'm just, just even from our, our pre-chat before press and record that I'm going to have back a lot. 
because I think, <laughs> I think there's a lot, a lot of great stuff that's coming out of your work. But I want to talk today mostly about some of the kind of the bigger picture stuff. I think for me, just to, for my learning, to get some foundations, uh, I think for my listeners as well. Um, and then, you know, eventually, and, and then start building up on that. And we've talked about some of the other folks, uh, Dr. Banks and others I'm going to be having on. I think that will really build on on this on this show as well and, and your work. So there was there was sort of two articles that kind of stood out for me um, that you were involved in. Um, they all did, but uh, two in particular that, that made me want to reach out. And one was around the sort of the history of the Association of Black Psychologists, um, uh, the, the fact that there's a 50 year history is, you know, is just mm-hmm. is wild to think about compared to sort of what, where we're at. Um, but then also your other the other article that you're involved in around psychology's contra- contributions to anti-blackness mm-hmm. um, uh, in the U.S. within research, criminal justice and mental health. Um, and I think they both kind of feed into each other. So I, I think and that this the second article, you know, is is a really good, you know, history lesson for folks. And I, I definitely mm-hmm. will encourage people to read it we're not going to obviously go through the the whole document today it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's a big read with a lot of with a lot of dates and a lot of information um, um and it's a really great resource i think but just maybe touching on some of the some of the, the major points there because so you know for me and I've, i kind of gave you a, a bit of a spiel when we first met about kind of why i'm doing this work and whatnot and 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 kind of my learning um and so for my learning in terms of sort of the history of of of, of Black America, uh, mostly has come out of the, that one book that I read, the Imbrim Gandhi book, uh, Stamp from the Beginning, mm-hmm. uh, which you know is, you know, I'm not a big book reader, let alone a history yeah. book reader, um, and so you know, there's a lot of information in there, um, um, a lot of dates, lots of lots of connections that are kind of happening. I think it'd be good to read it again. Um, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you definitely get the gist that well, number one, that you know, racism started, you know, six seven hundred years ago, probably before that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, uh, you know, as, in, in terms of sort of anti-black racism in Africa and, and whatnot, and then coming over to here from 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 his writings and he talks a lot about sort of all the different figures that were involved obviously um the different early theories that you know that that from you know from the climate theory and others that kind of um Mm -hmm. um you know started racism so early We, we talk about intergenerational trauma for 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 black folks but there's also intergenerational hate for white folks you know, mm-hmm. that is built over time through these, you know, through these early ridiculous theories of uh, the climate mm-hmm. theory is just when you read it, you're like, who would believe that? <laughs> but, um, yeah. but, but people did and and it got passed around pretty quickly. Um, um, and just kind of, and then, and then it just builds on each other, you know, year after year, generation after generation to the point where you had just have, you know, you, you you obviously talk about sort of, of, you know, you know, and stereotypes sort of, you know, the, 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 the hate that's built in sort of the Southern U S and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. and, and talk and, and often we talk about sort of how problematic, you know, these people are and what, and why do they think this way, but because generations of their families, it's generation of hate going back to, you know, back to Spain, back to England, back to wherever, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's all those families have ever known is that mm-hmm. black people are inferior, um, um, you know, or believed, you know, this, this lie, this is sort of perpetuated throughout history. And, and, and this is why, you know, you know, 
ending slavery doesn't end anything, you know, and so on. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it's interesting reading this article. And, you know, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it. And, and it may come out in that book that I was reading as well, but how how much of a role psychology has played in continuing this sort of uh, uh, narrative of hate and narrative of uh, of inferiority and so on. Uh, and, and I think this article just does does a great job of kind of uh, of kind of starting starting that history. There, there's an early um, line in the article where you say, um, I think you were quoting someone else, but uh, the the perce the perceived inferiority of black people guided the development of psychology and its use on these communities, leading mm -hmm. to the use of psychology and the acculturation of people to Western capitalism and, and white supremacy. Um, and I think that's kind of sort of the you know the story throughout this this article mm -hmm. um about kind of kind of what's been going on so maybe kind of just just a bit about sort of the early days of psychology um yeah. you know for folks um and and kind of how you know racism was just so deeply embedded in there would be it would be interesting to talk a bit about yeah of course and so one of the things that guided this article in its conception is especially around 2020 prior to that and, and, and since then there are so many there's so much work uh critiquing various disciplines on the, the 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 internal racism right that honestly served as a micro, microcosm it served as a mirror for society and so people mm. were being highly critical of uh within their own discipline in, the, in an effort to uh, get perfected, uh, to, 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 to make it more sustainable for, you know, uh, Black people, whoever might be within that context of that field. Hmm. And the, the, the subtle distinction we wanted to make here was that the, the job isn't necessarily to, right, uh, understand completely, like, racism within psychology, but rather understand how psychology plays a role within a larger kind of global, within this context, a, a national project of white supremacy and anti-Blackness. Mm. Um, it goes beyond like the, the interpersonal racism of uh, clinicians, which is a huge problem, to yeah. how is this field conceived of and weaponized in its, in its origin? Yes. Um, and so what we talk about there is when you look at some of the initial theories, because when, when people say that, when, you, when everybody's like, yeah, of course, obviously, of course, yeah, everybody's racist back in the day, right, for sure. But what gets lost in, again, like, what is the actual utility of psychology? We also have a quote in there by Amos Wilson, who says, when you uh, risk recounting history as progress, you, you, you lose sight of the continuing, the progression of harms that run counter to those narratives. So when we look at the, the origin of it, right, you look at a, a Samuel Cartwright. Yeah. So the diagnosis of drapetomania is one that people who read these, who become more critical of their field, are a bit more familiar with. Right? The mm -hmm. idea that for an enslaved African person to desire and pursue freedom represented the type of mania that uh, was pathological. Yeah. Is, is one of the early kind of find that foundational diagnoses we have within this psychological, psychiatric project within the United States. Um, and now, it, again, it's not sufficient enough to have this diagnosis. 
right? A, a, a diagnosis within a medical medical model requires some type of quote unquote treatment. And so you have mm. facilities, institutions, hospitals built with yes. the desire of quote unquote treating that diagnosis. So you have the Central Lunatic Asylum for the Colored Insane in yes. Virginia, which is the first uh, state hospital built for uh, African people. And so here's where people are treated with forced labor, right? forced indefinite confinement for diagnoses such as a glypotomy. But again, people will say, okay, you're talking about the late 1800s, makes sense. Everybody's race makes sense. You, you fast forward, well, we could move through the very first, uh, some 30 of the first presidents of the American Psychological Association right. participated in leadership of various eugenics organizations. Yes. You look at the work of G. Stanley Hall, one of the first psychologists in the United States, whose theory of, of kind of cultural unity within the context of the United States required that African peoples be enslaved. That was the healthy position. It allowed white people to watch over them. It allowed for kind of clear communication between, uh, as he understood it, racial groupings. And so it, it, it prevented the disunity of society. It also allowed people to watch over again this inherent criminality that he believed African peoples possessed. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just like in like the, the the musings. This is foundational to the theory. Yeah, this is yeah. why again you bounce to the 1970s. Now you're talking about protest psychosis, the idea that right. to participate in uh, any type of black liberatory civil rights activism to such an extent that. You might come into contact with the law. This represents a psychosis. Mm -hmm. And people might not be familiar with the protest psychosis, so they might ask, okay, but how serious is this really? How severe is this really? Without understanding that, no, uh, due to, uh, shout out to uh, Jonathan Metzl's like, really uh, foundational work there, that diagnosis, the protest psychosis, went on to reshape and rethread the very diagnosis of schizophrenia. Yes. You go from a disorder that is disproportionately applied to white women to a disorder that to this day is disproportionately applied to black men. Yeah. Just to be because the symptoms themselves were reformatted around how black people were presenting in the hospital. Yeah. And so back to the point, when you, when you risk uh, discussing these things as progress, you lose that. To this day, right, Black people are more likely to be diagnosed with psychotic disorders as opposed to mood disorders relative to white people, right? What are the consequences of that? Uh, psychotic disorders, the perception of psychotic disorders leads to increased indefinite uh, institutionalization, involuntary institutionalization, involuntary treatment. And also we know that when Black presenting people are seen as having psychotic symptoms, there's an increased support from the public for least use of force and violence to, 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 to institutionalize. We know this is the opposite for white people. Yes. So we saw this with, with Jordan Neely in New York recently, right? The perception of disorder, the perception of madness on a black body mm -hmm. is met with violence consistently in, in, a, in a terrifying, destabilizing way. And there, there's too many stories of, of, of these to name. So, that's just, again, one of the ways we can see the very origins of the field in surveillance and control and how that, again, continues today in ways that remain violent. Yeah, I mean, some of, yeah, I mean, I wrote a bunch of stuff down and you've already kind of quoted half of them. I mean, 
I mean, this this I this state this Ionia State Hospital for the criminally insane in Michigan was was only closed in 1977, and they and they yeah. and they were doing life lifetime confinements of of of, of, of black men, um, uh, the, and or this this uh, Human Betterment Foundation. Yeah, um, and the and the the forced sterilization of thousands of uh, of uh, of black patients in, in psychiatric institutions, obviously to you know curb curb the growth of more you know yeah. mentally ill or whatever you know kinds of folks. And that, but this stuff just keeps going. Like even thinking because it's it's easy to go. Well, that was 1977. You know, mm. you know, so half people listening weren't even born yet um and and you know that was that was back then but then i and then i i keep reading about this sort of this sort of these the, these studies published in 2020 that you reference yeah. um you yeah. know this um uh what was the journal of sexual assault used uh, uh white versus non-white as their variable mm. to re and reported that non-white adolescents were more likely to be early onset sexual offenders compared with white adolescents mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's in 2020. Like, uh, has anything changed? Uh, to what we were saying, honestly, right before the, uh, I believe it was before the podcast started. Yeah. I feel like the marketing changed right. is mainly what it is. Right. When you look at um, the ways that psychology is marketed, what it, what it claims to do right now, right, you have one of the, I would say, one of the biggest uh almost like i would say that media campaigns efforts that people are collectively engaging in is the idea that black people have stigma around mental health that that's the reason that people aren't getting their, their mental needs met is because you know, black people are mistrustful and when you examine the the system like the mental health and psychological system that exists within the united states is how how could you think that's that's the main pulse of, of what's going on of what's wrong mm, right now. Mm, when mm. you have a field that for over a century, right, has sought to destabilize, incarcerate, erase people, to turn around and say, like, oh, you're mistrustful. That's why you don't want to go to a therapist. Right? It, it fundamentally misses so many of the core structural issues. Right? Like the the for-profit nature, the lack of accessibility, even the people that you're accessible to, again, not being trained to work with the problems that you've um, you've encountered in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. The fact that misdiagnosis is, is rampant, it's common to the point where I don't know any, I don't know too many right, black psychologists at this point who walked through their training and have not seen that weaponized against black people. Right? I've seen that in almost every single stop I've been at. Yeah. So when it's that ubiquitous, you turn around and say, the problem here is the stigma you have. It's like, no, the field has a stigma against Black people. Before we can make any broad sweeping claims about how people ought to uh, engage with it, let's first make sure it's responding to the, the very distress that, 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 that people are discussing, that people are, are, yeah. are, are advocating around. So there's, there's this severe misalignment. So again, to your question, right, what, what has changed? I think there's maybe more awareness around this history. Mm. But beyond that, you, you still have one of the, a profession that's based in 
incarceration and institutionalization. And that still remains one of the predominant ways people access psychological services. In the context of the United States, not a lot of people know that the primary way people come into contact with quote unquote mental health services is through prisons and jails. That's the primary way. Yeah. In the United States. Like, The, uh, I mean, what possible reason would black folks have to trust the system, right? You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not that black folks are inherently mistrusting, you know, mm-hmm. they haven't given us a chance, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, the field hasn't given black folks a chance, mm-hmm. you know, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and. You start to also understand reading this article, kind of why why black folks are are you know are treated so poorly by by the by police, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and why they're you know dying at the hands of police at such a such a crazy mm-hmm. rate, and why you know black folks, you know today and and generationally, you know you know, are basically born into, well, it's, you know, it's, it's born into that fear, you know, and they're, they're, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, they, they have to be raised that way to sort of, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the code switching, the whole everything that kind of goes mm-hmm. with sort of trying to stay alive. Um, and you wonder, you know, is, is it, is it, you know, if, if you're looking at it, you wonder, is it just that police are, inherently bad people um you know is it just their training is it whatever mm-hmm. uh, but then when you look at sort of this work and sort of how psychology how you know psycho anti-black psychology has basically created you know these these different mental illnesses and these sort of different uh um um both both diagnoses and kind of um you know uh there's another term you have uh where did it go yeah in this in this uh in this lovely uh graphic here in your yeah. article uh where you know right so how how kind of psychology has you know anti-black psychology has informed both our definition and understanding of mental illness you talked about that with the dyptomania and the and the protest psychosis um and the you know the misdiagnosis of schizophrenia um as well as Maybe as as well as kind of how it's you know, contributed to our understanding of what crime is in the U.S. and what mm-hmm. criminals are in the U.S. Can you just touch a bit about about that history as well and kind of how psychology has played a role in sort of creating this skewed concept of crime in in North America? Yeah, of course. I mean. One of the things I want to note first uh, is, yeah. is, is an argument that uh, I think is he's a legal scholar, lawyer at, at Fordham named Jonathan Fast. Mm-hmm. I wrote about and said, like, the biggest predictor of police presence in a given area, the way that police interacts with the population mm-hmm. isn't isn't crime. It's it's racial animus from surrounding mm-hmm. neighborhoods. So, again, these ideas of, of fear, of, of, of a lack of safety. Um, shape what crime looks like, how it's policed, how it's quote unquote treated, or again, how it's quote unquote erased through uh, institutionalization and incarceration. Mm. So your question, I think about France Fanon's quote, right? Psychiatry is an auxiliary of the police. Mm. The very nature of 
these kind of coalescing fields is, is about social control. And so when people uh, behave in a way that is seen as in some way threatening or in opposition to a social order that I'm sure the listeners of your podcast know will again, agrees based on the level of supremacy, capitalism, right? That's where the idea of criminal, those are the criminals that require right, uh, erasure, require mm-hmm. control, require surveillance. And again, psychiatry and psychology become one of the largest mechanisms through which that, through which that happens. I'm thinking about this uh, black psychologist by the name of Bobby E. Wright, a foundational black psychologist from Chicago, talked about looking at the, the, the history of, of behavior, uh, behaviorism. Mm. This is how so many political theorists base their constructions and understandings of, 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 the, uh, of, of cities, of how to, how to build cities, how to organize cities around ideas of behaviorism. Hmm. Uh, ideas of criminality around ideas of behaviorism. And he, he, he pulled this quote. I'm not sure if it was from, um, oh, man. I had to apologize to him before everybody listened to the podcast because my, my name finding skills right now are, are, are not in their prime. Um, okay. But he, he pulled a quote talking about how, you know, they, they are leading behaviorists who have gotten the opportunity to shape schools, to shape policy, to shape, to shape the very streets that people walk on. Yeah. And so why would we separate the outcomes for Black youth from their, right, from their theory? Mm. The idea that when we see uh, Black youth suffer from interpersonal community violence, community, community crime, this is, again, a direct result of a behavioral theory that is trying to uh, do harm to, to Black children. That, that, was, that was Bobby Wright's idea. He called this mm-hmm. idea menticide. The idea that violence is a, he said, like, uh, Black suicide and Black death is a political dynamic. So to your question, a lot of the crime, criminal, that's how kind of psychological and psychiatric theory contributes to that. What yeah. is seen as legitimate pain, what is seen as legitimately requiring treatment, what is seen as legitimately um, um, human at the base level. Psychiatry and psychiatrists play such a crucial role within the context of the United States in defining that and also robbing people of that. Yeah, yeah. I read a quote that you had in here from an article by a guy named Fisk in 2021. And this, I just couldn't believe this. A recent, this is 2021, folks. In a recent Mm. national survey of police mental health training, police departments on average rated their effectiveness in responding to mental health crises as a 3.5 on a scale of of one to five, one being not at all effective, five being extremely effective. So they think they're not doing too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which again, just, I think, you know, goes to sort of, you know, the system, you know, the, the, the behaviors that are reinforced and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're told they're doing good work, um, you know, and, and, and kind of so on. It's 
Yeah. And again, good work in a context in which I believe by some estimate of many is 52% of people killed by police are struggling with some type of mental health crisis. Right. right? In a context in which uh, there are reports from various journalists that uh, alternatives to community care are actively being sabotaged by some local de- police departments. You can mm. take the case of Najee Seabrooks in Patterson, New Jersey. Mm. Najee Seabrooks uh, recently, this is 2023, was a pillar in the community. He was a co-leader in the Patterson Healing Collective where they did violence interruption work and workshops with kids in the area. And when he was experiencing a mental health crisis, he called for the Healing Collective. And instead, the, healing, the, the, the police came, they mocked members of the Healing Collective, and Najee Seabrooks was shot and killed. We know, right? We we know policing doesn't work. So you know, people make these. Uh, I've talked about this too, and pe- people say like, I mean, I know a police officer who's a good person, and for me, I don't care. I'm not saying like you have to think this is a bad person. I don't care. Right. Some people do. I don't. Yeah. It, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a matter of fact that the the the, the, the occupation, the job, is not working. You could put any type of person in that, right. and they're not going to be able to execute the role that we want for society, that, that, that of community care, that of community yes. safety. Yes, yes. It, it's that simple. Yeah. No, that, that makes it really clear. I also want to touch a bit on 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 psychological re- psychology research. You know, I think some folks may be familiar. I had a guest on recently, um, Dr. Malika Pritchett. The University of Kansas, she's a behavior analyst, but she does a lot of work in kind of human rights and kind of research and 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 sort of and she she wrote a really nice chapter on kind of kind of the history of research uh in our field, uh, but also just you know, with a lot of parallels to psychology, because I think our field, you know, was psychology for a lot of years. Um, and you know, we hear about some of the uh, the big kind of obvious, you know, kind of more more the right word but i think more sort of televised type you know examples of of uh uh uh, of you know racism within research so like tuskegee and you know tuskegee and and some of those some of these you know some of these other uh, the 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 one with the uh the um um, the the syphilis the syphilis experiments um and and a few others like that uh you know the the willowbrook story it was another one and um you know really sort of clearly bad experimenting on human being stuff um you know that we don't we don't do anymore um uh, but you talk about there's there's a whole bunch more stuff happening in research that you wouldn't see sort of in the results necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. um, you see it in, 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 in places where, you know, a lot of folks aren't even reading, um, but, mm-hmm. but policy makers are reading and, uh, and, uh, and other, other, you know, uh, scholars are reading and that's kind of around, you know, particularly around kind of recruitment of subjects, um, um, mm-hmm. designs of studies, um, um, in particular, you know, things like sort of how the, the research on, and, and maybe you can kind of touch on this a bit, but sort of the research on kind of developing these diagnoses, I think we kind of touched on this a little mm-hmm. bit already, um, 
has been primarily on black folks. Like they've been mm -hmm. the primary subject. Like in fact, in some of these studies, they were all black people. Um, mm -hmm. And then that therefore led them to make these sweeping generalizations about black people when they didn't actually mm -hmm. measure any of this stuff in people from any other background. So they, so they could actually be things that are common among, across all human beings. Um, exactly. Yeah. And then at the same time, you talk about sort of research. You know, so it's all black folks that are subjects of the research to define mental illness, mm -hmm. but then no black folks are involved in the research to help those with mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that history and kind of some some of uh, so in, 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 has that has yeah. that change and, and kind of what's going on there? Yeah, I think about uh, this this kind of uh, like a selective universality. Right. Like when a lot of these people are developing theories, like what is, what is the problem of, of the black person? Um, I yeah. had this experience for anybody who's a psychology nerd. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, William Cross was on my dissertation committee and he, he's a seminal figure in the development of black identity and uh, mm. the, the, the theory of black identity development. Mm. And I, I found it fascinating that you know, a lot of us now exist in a, in a context in which again, we're seeking to, okay, what does it look like to specifically treat Black people? What are the unique problems that Black people might be facing? How do we center Black experiences and in, 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 in working through distress? And I, I remember it was so fascinating that uh, Will Cross and, and his, again, decades of scholar activism around so many of these issues was so mistrustful of the idea of focusing on what he what could be perceived as black deficit because mm -hmm. there's been such a, a a targeted and violent history of that in the research and so it, I, I remember thinking it was so interesting that again he has been fighting this fight so long that now that we have like a few more black psychologists who are trying to actually treat people he's still signaling like here's how you should know how this could be misinterpreted you should know how People could use this to to our detriment. Wow! And again, that just goes to show the the, the history of it. Um, I also want to shout out. I should have done this earlier. Uh, a lot of the co-authors that I work with on this specific article, so yeah. Molly Baldring, Stephen Kasparic, Gina McPhee, Alexander Tabinchink, uh, Irene Tung, uh, Charday Galan, and the Scholars for Elevating Equity and Diversity. So mm. this article, this doesn't happen without all of yeah. these people. They they all brought their unique Towns, their brilliance, their interests to to this paper, um, and seed—that's the acronym for Scholars of Elevate, mm -hmm. Elevating Equity and Diversity. Uh, have a lot of really good work coming out. So, if you're interested in work like this, yeah, um, check them out, please. They, they, Where, are they dope. out of a particular university or? No, so it's a collective. Okay. We're a collective okay. um, from universities all over. Trying to recruit more people from different disciplines uh, nice. outside of the academy. Right now, it's predominantly psychologists, but again, we're looking for always looking to expand, always looking to collaborate. Amazing. So, your question right, about around the history. So, there is that one example in in the article. Another one that we had contemplated putting in, but honestly, we, this article could have been a book. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. So, yeah. I want to touch on that. Is for example. Uh, people who might be familiar with the Moynihan Report, right? The Moynihan Report that was written mm. about 
you know, black families, the idea of, you know, the toxic uh, black matriarch that kind of was unseating the, the, the natural order within the black family was leading mm. to all this disorder and disarray within black communities. Mm. Like this idea that the family structure is just completely fall, falling apart. And I remember in doing some research for this article, finding uh, a few psychologists who defended the Moynihan report saying like, listen, he's not talking about anything that the rest of these psychologists aren't, even like some black psychologists. But uh, Kenneth Clark will talk about the problem of, um, you know, black family structures, right? So just to note that even people who are attempting to undo racism, for people who don't know Kenneth Clark and his wife, Mamie Clark, uh, were, were seminal in, in their doll, the, the, the doll study, right? Showing mm. that uh, black children were being socialized to think black was, was ugly. Yes. But a key role in, in desegregating schools. Um, but they were, a lot of those people were appealing to it seemed like traditional psychological literature. Hmm. To the point, like the, the way the question was phrased is when you're only examining people with a deficit in mind, you, you, you throw out all nuance, you throw out all, all centering of complex cultural dynamics. Yeah. And so we know with the Moynihan Report, and still, I, I was on a so, uh, a presentation for Black men, and people were talking about that. How can we fix the Black family? This stems from the Moynihan Report. How can we fix the problem of the Black family? No one considered at the time, people consider it now, but the, 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 the messaging is so strong, that the report never considered the, the complexity, the nuances, of family structure that exists in distinct cultures. Hmm. The whole idea like, oh, there's, there's, there's a deficit base in the family because there, there's no father, or there's out of wedlock, there's this, there's that. It's like, let's talk about what kind of families that they'd grown up in. Okay, his, his father might live across the block, but in that house, there's an uncle, a cousin, a grandmother, a grandfather. Everybody within that household is looking after this kid. He has, he has a village looking after him. There's something qualitatively meaningfully distinct from this family structure. And let's say, again, like maybe a two-family household in which both parents are living super far away from their, their, their family and, and social support context. They're isolated. So because of this deficit model, people move away from examining the, all the distinct, complex ways family structures form and support of children because there's such an emphasis on, again, uh, finding deficit within the black family. That's that's one way, and we see this again and again in the measurement, in the way that studies are discussed. And so this is an example that we, we had discussed putting into the article. Uh, it's almost like, a, I guess, a, a, this, you're getting the, 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 the director's cut. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, almost exactly. had a section on that <laughs> in the article, but again, we had so much already that it couldn't, uh, it couldn't make it up. The article also talks about I, I would I think is 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 good, but I'm I'm curious about sort of the responsiveness to it about um, there is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human expressions gives black and brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them, modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. 
To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. The second secret word is liberation. Things we can do about it. Um, there are things psychology at least maybe can do about it as a field. Uh, kind of you know, have some recommendations both around addressing the history as well as addressing you know maybe some of the some of those kind of current issues uh, when it comes to sort of mental health care and criminal justice. And we don't certainly don't have to go through them all. They're, they're, you've got two great tables here. Um, that really kind of outline them. And maybe I'll just sort of read off the initiatives. We don't have to describe mm -hmm. the specifics, but things like um, uh, educating psychologists about the history. You know, it sounds like maybe that's part of this course you teach, I assume. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm curious, by the way, the course that you teach, is it is 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 it mostly Black students or? Uh, this past semester, this is my first time teaching. I want to mm. say it was like two-thirds Black students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and is it a required course in psychology for no. folks? Yeah. No, it is not. Yeah. No. So <laughs> there's something. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you talk about diversifying course readings. I think I've definitely seen that before. You talk about things at the level of, of sort of journals and funding agencies, which I think is really important. I mean, we, we've been talking a lot of, in behavior analysis about sort of how, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's some of the systemic isms within within sort of journal design from acceptance to you know choosing editors to you know not having double blind reviews and all those sorts of things mm -hmm. um um talk about um just just acknowledging some of those harms I, I, again it's 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 amazing like these stuff should be required required training and so i mean on that level i mean i don't even know how you I, I would imagine black psychologists, a lot of them are 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 are, are doing this work, you know, to sort of mm -hmm. you know re retell the story the way it should be. Um, but I also imagine, and and it's it's important, you know, for for those black students to know sort of you know that story. But it, it seems equally important for everybody else to know that story. And I'm I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm wondering kind of how, because and then you talk about some recommendations for you know, around enhanced care for justice-involved folks, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, looking at sort of different mental health responses. You talked about that one example and, and, and about the fellow that was shot because of it um, um, and developing kind of these alternate systems. And actually, I'm hoping we can touch on that that preprint article yeah. that you share with me as well related to the healing circles. Um, but like, these are great recommendations. Um, Will they go anywhere? And and and, and like, will yeah. will they be read? And and uh, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's kind of you know my sort of um, unfortunately pessimistic question. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a fantastic question. So I'm thinking about it two ways. So yeah. the first way is from what I've seen so far, it, it's gone about as far as you would expect in academic circles hmm. because I've gotten a lot of people saying like oh we just read this for my department reading group we just read this for my like DEI club yes. reading group so that's that's where this has a home right now that's which is not are. again how far we wanted to go yeah but that's that's you know I, I think a lot of us anticipated 
that. It, it's been a great discussion pieces. I've been doing a lot of podcasts about it. Yeah. But again, that's not the the the, the engine like that that we wanted to have. Yeah. And so to your question though, and we, we did talk about this is I I don't understand this change to come about through again like discipline specific politics. Mm. If this makes sense, yeah. I I don't know the change that we want happens because psychology becomes a more perfect field. Mm. Uh, I, I think the 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 changes happen when psychology, in some ways, the the, the power it has over a lot of these systems attenuates. Mm. Um, Psychology historically and currently has shown itself to, and this is goes for a lot of academic disciplines, have shown themselves to struggle with adhering to the needs, the wants, the desires of the communities that they're supposed to be in service of. Mm. A lot of these institutions, their role in society is to produce knowledge that in some ways is of some type of use. That, that's what goes into all the grant applications, like the, the, the novelty, the, the, the relevance, the purpose of these projects. and. Uh, I think it was last night, Isso was the former, I believe, director of the National Institutes of Mental Health, talked about how he had overseen the dissemination of billions of dollars for various mm. you know, uh, neurological and biological-based pharmaceutical interventions of, of this nature to curb mental health crises. And he said, in the decades since then, things have gotten worse across the and more money and this stuff's getting worse. So the idea that psychology through leaning into its methods further, leaning into mm. its historical ideals further will undo this harm, I think is, is, is a misplaced goal. Mm. I think about right, uh, allying ourselves more closely with healing, care, community movements outside yeah. of the field. Yeah. People within the field of psychology might have, have a strategic place, right? As somebody who's trained in forensic psychology, I have a strategic place in those movements, but my 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 uh, allegiance isn't to the field in that nature. My allegiance is to particular community concerns. Yeah. Right? And so I often, when I talk about this article, when I give some of my other talks, uh, people within the field say, okay, what should psychology do? What should, in your context, like what, what should behavior analysts do? Mm -hmm. And that's too broad and vague, and I would say uh, an amorphous question because that de that depends on the communities that you're in service to. Right. I, like I am not going to tell somebody who engages in this work in a completely distinct, different community context what they should be doing. Yeah. I don't know those people that you're in service to. Yeah. You have to have that conversation with them. I can't tell you with them. I, I wrote this whole uh, we wrote this whole article about anti-blackness within psychology, and at this point, what black people want in regards to this, that's going to differ significantly based on the local socio-political context, what mm -hmm. healing looks like, what restoration looks like. Do people even want that? Yeah, right? that's going to look very different. So that that's why I say. So for me personally, now I, we've written this is now I'm talking with like distinct movements. I'm talking with distinct, maybe activists, lawyers. Okay, what can we do at this point to, to be of help, to be of service? That, that's me. That's me personally. Yeah. What I'm doing. People engage in it in different ways. Yeah. No, it makes sense. The kind of more kind of grassroots, um, um, uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot more about sort of the 
in terms of just research in general and kind of any field, this kind of community participatory uh, kind mm-hmm. of thing where the community is is the one designing the research questions and mm-hmm. and uh, and you know the, you're not even you're not even asked you're not asking we don't ask the questions anymore they do because that's mm-hmm. what's important to those communities and and that's the goal of these fields is to sort of improve these communities so that that makes a lot of sense. And I want to get into that again. I do want to get into the uh, the the healing circle article, but I also really want to talk a, a bit, kind of go back in time again a bit um, um, to the other article on um, on the Association of Black Psychologists. It, it blew my mm-hmm. mind when I first looked into it because I was sort of when I first looked into it, I was looking into sort of black associations uh, in different fields uh, just to sort of compare it to ours just out of curiosity you know because like i said before the black applied behavior analyst uh, organization started in i think 2017 um mm-hmm. and and as a facebook group um um, mm-hmm. um and and uh, and then quickly then sort of had their first conference in i think virtually in like 2021 or something or 2020 and had their first in-person one in um, not long after and some somewhere around there. I think I think this the, I think this is maybe the second in-person conference coming up this year or something like that. So it's really, really, really early days. And so I started looking into some other fields. And I started first field I went to was school psychology because there's a real there's a lot more parallels, I think, between school psychology and behavior analysis. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of there's a lot of sort of school psychologists that are behavior analysts and vice versa. Um so I thought that'd be a good place to start. And again, I, it, it was sort of similar dates. I, I, I met um, uh, Tierra Bland, who's coming on the podcast in July, mm-hmm. and she founded the the Association for Black School Psychologists. I think that's what mm-hmm. they call themselves. Um, uh, um, and, and they had their first conference a couple months ago. Um, mm-hmm. um, so again, thinking, okay, well, we're, we're kind of on par there. Uh, then, then I got into social work. That went back a little further. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 then I found psychology, and it was like, oh, 1968. Oh my yeah. gosh! You know that's yeah. that's that's wild. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and 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 why so long ago? And uh, and you know, and they must have done so much more and have made so much more headway. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of led me to, to 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 finding this article and eventually kind of finding mm-hmm. you. Um, um, and so. I'm curious, sort of, a, a, a bit about sort of the history of, uh, of it, and I think a lot of the stuff that we've we've talked about already, uh, you know, are, are a lead up to that. In in, in, the, in that psychology mm-hmm. essentially was not doing anything for the for for for, for the black population, um, and if anything, just using them to sort of, you know, uh, achieve achieve their their kind of racist means. Uh, yeah. uh, but I understand that there that, that that there's a there's a connection here, you know, and between uh, between Dr. King and and and, mm-hmm. and kind of and kind of the formation. So I'm, I'm wondering if that might be a place to start, or or maybe something earlier. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No. Oh, so well, the first thing I do want to note is um, in people within the Association of Black Psychologists, we say ABCI for short. Hmm. Uh, people within ABC I will talk about is again as long as people have been people have been doing this work Uh, people have been inquiring into theories of the mind theories of the spirit uh, well-being wholeness as long as people have been around yeah and so one of the things that people in ABC I will do was 
kind of reroute uh, the, 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 the origin of this to the civilizations that were able to document their thinkings on it. So for mm. a lot of people in AP side, they start in uh, Kemet, Egypt, like some of the first writings we have on how people were interrogating those ideas of, of spirit. Mm. Um, so that, that's the first piece is that there is a longer tradition of this. And at times, because we're so emphasized on, on specific type of discipline, yes. we, we lose sight, we lose sight of that, right? And no, so fair, fair. Yeah, I, uh, I'll send this to you. It should be coming out in a couple of weeks to have an article on one of the first, uh, the pioneers of what's called ethnopsychiatry, mm. uh, Louis Mars out of Haiti. And mm. He was doing that in the early 1900s, oh, following wow. suit of his father, Jean Price Mars. So again, th there's a very long tradition yeah. of this that wow. we, we don't always honor. But A.B. Sy specifically is out, again, uh, historic. So. A.B. Sy, as you've noted, as we've discussed already, you know, psychology, the American Psychological Association has a history of violence, of, of just, uh, yeah, you know, violent control of, of, of Black peoples. And so at this juncture, they, we're, we're talking about the late 1960s. We all know the civil rights movement is going on. Yeah. And so we're also very familiar with it, with, with yeah, especially following 2020 of performative activism and things of this nature. Yes. So in 19, I believe 1967, the American Psychological Association invites Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to outline the role of uh, behavioral scientists in the civil rights movement. Hmm. And it's a great document. I, I think people are so... Uh, are so familiar with you know, the I have a dream speech, right? yeah. this type of uh, nonviolence protest, they lose sight of, again, a brilliant scholar who had a lot of insights into the interdisciplinary nature of so many of these movements. And so hmm. if a, a brilliant speech articulating the, the, the nature of the riot, what the, the riot represented psychologically for Black peoples, that people have been withdrawing their all the depth and nuance of theory when it came to Black people, had this great idea around what's called uh, psychological or creative maladjustment. Mm. Right? The idea that somebody should be maladjusted to an injustice side. Yes. The idea that, okay, somebody is like distressed or sad or angry as a psychological problem when it's like, no, this is probably, the way that I know somebody's healthy is because they're able to see clearly all the things going wrong. Yeah. He has a great part where he references all the distinct uh, prophets, you know, either preachers, so he references all their different. Sure. I want to be as maladjusted as this man on the mountain. I was like, oh man, he's going off. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> he's fantastic. And as we know with performative activism, right? Have the great speech. What the APA does is largely nothing. They, mm -hmm. they elect uh, Kenneth Clark to the presidency, but all the, the 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 deep theoretical and practical uh, uh, positions that Dr. King had advocated for were largely kind of left on the table. Hmm. So in 1968, a group of about 200 black psychologists stormed the stage at the APA convention, declared their separation from the association, and go on to form 
right, will become the association of black psychologists. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting to note, again, when you talk about performative nature of it, uh, Kenneth Clark at the time was very vehement in his, in his dismissal of that. He said, I don't do black psychology, I do psychology. Black hmm. psychology at the time was seen as kind of like an, almost a, a type of ethno-theorizing. Right, mm. you're, you're trying to find like the distinct psychology of black people when it's like, no, we're basing our understanding of psychology from the experiences of black people. What what truths can we find out about the world when we focus on the experiences, the, the, the civilization, the communities, the love of uh, black people? You know, Joseph White penned that towards a black psychology, I believe in, in was it Essence or was it Ebony? It was Ebony magazine. Mm. So they go on to form the Association of Black Psychology. The year following, actually, a lot of people don't know this, uh, because the APA continued to do what they were doing, a group of uh, Black psychology students proceeded yes. to then storm the stage and then immediately, like the year following, and the APA president was heard, like, he was caught on a hot bike saying, like, this again? Oh, my <laughs> God. Again? Because right? he got back to back. Storm. So uh, the the National Student Association, I, I'm forgetting this precise name of the, the how, how they named themselves. Yeah. Then co-formed the Association of Black Psychologists by unifying with the professionals who've done so a year prior. And so afterwards, you have just a tradition, a, a history of just like deep radical work that extends from the Association of Black Psychologists. Hmm. They believe they begin with a, a 10-point plan inspired by the Black Panthers on how to reshape the field of black psych of psychology overall, in including uh, demanding programs admit a certain number of, of Black students, demanding changes to curriculum, demanding the hiring of Black professors within the field, right? All to right, uh, reshape the field to undo the, we're talking about decades and decades and decades of harm at this point. Mm. Beyond making these demands of universities, they also engage in a lot of radical psychological work that has not, uh, I would say in many ways, has not been matched. Yeah. Some people know about uh, Angela Davis, right? uh, her trial like right. as, as an activist, like, or she, right, um, they, they pushed her trial to an all-white kind of conservative district to try to incarcerate her. What a lot of people don't know about the story is that the Bay Area branch of the Association of Black Psychologists consulted on the trial with her lawyers to make sure that they couldn't stack the jury against her. One of the ways that they were able to successfully negotiate her freedom mm. was them doing a series of forensic psychological evaluations right, to make to 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 influence jury selection. And so you you have this history. You have what's a uh, uh, the, the the Larry P. V. Uh, Riles trial, I believe. Mm. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on the thing. Where uh, again in California, they got to suspend the use of IQ exams that had been, that were documented to be biased to prevent the continuing uh, segregation of Black children yes. into remedial courses. And so this all stems from this tradition of. Black psychology, which understood itself as inherently political within that current context. Uh, today, one of the ways that you can see the influence of Black psychology is the emotional emancipation circles are a uh, I believe they began around the early 2000s, are one of the few kind of modalities of 
treatment through black psychology, helping people undo the lie of black inferiority. At this point, they've been done all around the world. Mm. Um, we have the, we'll get into this, the Salabona Healing Circles, which, which were created in 2020 as a virtual uh, crisis response to anti-black racism. Mm. Currently, if you're in California, the reparations effort is being led by a former president of the Association of Black Psychologists. So it's been incredibly influ influential for an organization that doesn't have too many eyes on it most of the time. That's amazing. So did 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 Absai did they actually separate from the APB, APA or yes? And is that still the case? Exactly. So ABSI is not like a formal division of the APA. It is completely outside. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. And is that a, is that a good thing? I would say so, right? It. Um, I've just heard from other uh, divisions in terms of when they want to make particular political statements, when they want to make particular political uh, moves around either the field or outside of it. Uh, those statements, that work getting set down by those that be in, in APA. Yeah. As an independent... Uh, institution and independent association outside of those bounds, we're able to consistently and constantly again like speak that truth. Yeah. You know, one of the things that people have been very consistent about in, in ABCI is noting, documenting, critiquing the history of uh, torture that is going on with the American Psychological Association. Right. A lot of people don't know that history. People within the field, I think, at this point know the history that psychologists that were affiliated with the association of uh, the American Psychological Association helped the CIA to perfect their torture techniques at Guantanamo Bay. They're currently, uh, I believe that psychologist was uh, testifying in a trial, not but a, a month ago or so. Finally, people trying to be held to account for what occurred there, but you had a, a number of psychologists who went in and oversaw the torture of uh I, I cannot say how many people. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, ABCI, how 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 big is that? Is it these days? How many members do you think you have, give or take? Oh, it's interesting because ABCI represents both a, a kind of a formal group and also just people's almost uh, professional home. So, although people mm. might not be, you know, do pay members, we're going right. to tell you like pay pay your membership. Yeah, but they yeah. still understand ABCI as as their home. They still understand themselves as part of ABCI. Yeah. So if I had to wager, it, it's still relatively small compared to an APA, compared to a lot of these smaller divisions. Yeah. Um, I, I don't believe it's more in terms of due paying members year to year. I'm not sure it's more than a, a, a few thousand. Mm. Um, and so, and then just just for my brain. How big do you think the APA is? I can't. I can't even guess. I no, can't even guess yeah, about. It. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. It's but it's very it's very very big. Hundreds of thousands, I would guess. Yeah. Maybe. Let's. Yeah. Let's. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just looking at sort of the behavior analysis, folks. I think our numbers are 
I think for sort of the top level is something like 40, 50,000. And so I, you know, I can, I can only imagine that uh, psychology is at least 10 times that, if not more. So yeah, yeah just to give an idea. And so, yeah, and you also have, um, I, I, I do something, I think that also just kind of rung out to me with reading kind of some of your work. And then I was also last night reading Dr. Brea Banks, some of her work mm-hmm. as well. And, and just all, all the different journals that are available too, sort of for, Black, the black population. Oh, you talk about the Journal mm-hmm. of Black Psychology in in 1974. I mean, that's a long time ago, and that was created by 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 ABCI as well. Yes, yes, yeah. it's a journal that they continue to edit uh, today. Yeah, a lot of yeah. the the landmark uh, landmark scholarship in terms of developing the theory of black psychology comes from uh, the Journal of Black Psychology. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a bit then about some of the work. Like you said, that the 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 you 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 do in community to kind of improve things and talk a little bit about these healing circles because they sound really, really amazing. Yeah, what, what are they all about? Of course. So, uh, returning to what we said, right, about making sure your scholarship, your work, is in direct service and communication with uh, communities, and also understanding mm. what community means to you mm. uh, during twenty twenty the president of the Black Family Summit. The Black Family Summit is a kind of consortium of various Black professional organizations, so like the Black okay. social workers, firefighters, a number of them all together. Oh, wow. At least psychiatrists um, came to us and was saying a lot of our membership is just overwhelmed with the kind of the, 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 the double stress, the double discrimination, the, the double traumas of having to witness on the front lines the disproportionate deaths due to COVID and also experiencing that in their own families and community. Mm-hmm. Right? As Black people, just having significantly more people at the time uh, succumbing to the illness. He asked for this type of, again, safe space that people could come in, could be treated, could be assessed because of the, the sheer weight of racial trauma at the time. And so with that kind of, uh, as that as the engine, the president of the Association of Black Psychologists recruited myself, uh, Tania Lodge, and uh, Mama Mouya Cambone, who's a former president of ABCI as well, mm. to kind of co-create what became the Salabona Healing Circles. The idea of Salabona was introduced, I believe, by President Theopia Jackson. The idea that you know, I am, uh, I exist to be seen, right? Salabona is a Zulu greeting, meaning, meaning I see you or we see you. And it's based on this Zulu idea that to, to exist is to be seen. Like when you mm. see somebody, you're bringing them into existence in, yes. in a communal way, right? That, that our own being is an individual. I don't exist without somebody else to receive my being and my presence. Right. In a context in which people had their entire social systems disrupted, were, were, were feeling incredibly isolated, the idea of being seen became a key pillar for this, uh, the circles that we wanted to develop. Hmm. And so the Style Bone and Healing Circles became this uh, virtual first response training that were based in the, the, the field of African-centered and Black psychology. And so what that looked like was building an intervention that 
harnessed all the wisdoms of various African indigenous groups on the continent and throughout the diaspora to allow people to kind of co-create their own healing spaces. Hmm. I say that to say, we said earlier on, right, that as long as people have been, they've been theorizing on the treatment, on the nature of being within their community. So that exists in the forms of music, the forms of faith, the forms of poetry, uh, the forms of, of, of prayer, of praise, libation, in, in, in various places, in language. And so what the Style Bone Healing Circle allows for is for each trainer kind of respond to the local understandings of each of these concepts to create a space, right, based in the these wisdoms, based in these ideas of spirit, of, of psychology, to make that space of healing. Hmm. As we noted before, right, within the field of psychology, a lot of these ideas, a lot of these understandings, I can't even say they've been uh, co-opted at this point. Hmm. We know that within traditional psychology, there's, there's a large movement to co-opt various ideas of indigenous wellness, indigenous spirit, connecting to the earth. We know that there's been a, at this point, a billion dollar industry co-opting insights from Buddhism mm. and interweaving that with various cognitive behavioral therapies. Sure. Without seriously interrogating the, the nature of being, like those spiritual claims yes. of the people that they're taking these ideas from. Yeah. When it comes to African indigenous ideas uh, based in the Vodou, based in uh, traditional Vodou, these ideas have not yet been, again, in traditional psychology, been uh, interwoven. Mm -hmm. um, so within the context of uh, the Salbony Healing Circle, you talk about, you think about the community that you're in. Right? What, is their, what is their journey here? Where did, where did, they, where did they migrate from? Right? Where were they captive? Where were they taken from? How do they understand that history? How do they understand mm -hmm. safety? And now what does this space look like? Hmm. Well, some places we've had libations uh, led by you know, healers from Zimbabwe, used music, used griot music from Guinea, used uh, you know, songs from, you know, gospel songs from the South to kind of make like a Pan-African space in which people could kind of touch in every aspect of Africa and the diaspora. Hmm. We've had more uh kind of I would say the coherent or cohesive spaces. We did healing circles uh when we did them in Haiti. You know, mm. We did that with we're gonna use music from Haiti, we're gonna use compa, we're gonna use uh readings from Haitian scholars to kind of orient ourselves. We're gonna use libations and prayers that are read in Creole. We're gonna make this right uh that local. And so with that, it becomes this intervention as somebody who's led and received at this point almost probably over a hundred. I've never been in the same one place hmm. because the leaders come in and it, they, they change it, they shape it for the people there. And so since doing that, we've trained well over, I would say at this point, maybe over 200 leaders. Wow. We've held hundreds of circles around the world, predominantly within the context of the U.S., but uh, we've done healing circles for the victims of kidnapping in, in Haiti. We've done healing circles for uh, African refugees fleeing uh, the Ukraine following the war. We've done it for people throughout 
uh, Western Africa. We did a, a lot of our circles were due to various forms of instability within American politics. So maybe that'd be the insurrection, the trial of an officer yep. who murdered somebody. So we've, we've used that for so many distinct contexts at this point. And so far, our data says 100% of the people who've come have enjoyed the experience and want to come back. Um, mm. You saw the thematic analysis that we did in terms of the predominant feelings afterwards are these feelings of, of gratitude, of, of feeling refreshed, of a yearning for more spaces in, the, in their day-to-day life. So um, it's one of the best projects that I've been a part of. Are you a BCBA supervisor looking to streamline your practice? Or maybe you're working towards your BCBA and need to find the right supervisor. Whomhouse offers tools that make supervision so much more enjoyable for both supervisor and supervisee. For supervisors, they offer easy meeting documentation, competency tracking, monthly verification forms, a built-in supervision curriculum, and so much more. For supervisees, Whomhouse has a fieldwork tracker with built-in auditing, monthly verification forms, a curriculum, quizzes, and more. If you're looking for a supervisor, they even have a supervision marketplace where you can connect with BCBAs until you find your perfect match. Kind of like professional dating. For more information, go to whomhouse.com forward slash speak or search whomhouse on Google. The third secret word is healing. Amazing. And I know you just made the point that they are all different um, in, 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 in how they go and, and the leaders really kind of facilitate what that looks like. But just, I, I think I'm just sort of trying to um, wrap my mind around it because of my, you know, again, my bias of of sort of, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been involved in, you know, some of these kinds of men, male kind of, you know, sort of psych- psychological support groups. So specific to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of different kinds of, you know, mental, mental illnesses and whatnot and kind of. And, and in those, you know, you know, and, and those are, you know, again, great too. I mean, there's, there's all different ways that, that you can sort of, you know, heal. And, and those typically involve, you know, kind of that sharing model of just sort of opening up and talking about whatever's on your mind and, mm-hmm. you know, in, in kind of that, that sort of safe environment. That doesn't sound like what that these are about. It doesn't sound like these are about sort of people coming and talking about their pain so much as it is about mm-hmm. sort of engaging in kind of, you know, uh, spiritual and cultural and, and, you know, kind of healing kind of practices. It almost reminds me of kind of our conversation earlier about before we hit record, when we were talking about, um, I was asking about sort of the church and, 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 Mm -hmm. and and how, you know, and, and, and how black folks have kind of reshaped the church the way it was Mm -hmm. sort of meant to be not the way, you know, uh, the Europeans, um, 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 you know, wanted to sort of assimilate folks with mm-hmm. um, into sort of this, you know, place of joy and 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 and, and song and 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 connection. Um, is that kind of what these circles are are are, are kind of emanating? Or are they just are they places where folks can kind of are, all just kind of go and connect on these kind of cultural, spiritual, you know, musical or whatever? um entities or are there actual kind of conversation around sort of the, some of these psychological issues or is it both exactly it's both in yeah. yeah so people who enter into this space will experience both like both of those things 
Um, and I want to also maybe reframe something I said, like there, there is distinct, but there's still like a recognizable rhythm. Mm. Um, I had this experience a few years ago at a a workshop by this group called a culture company, uh, where they do workshops to heal the divide between Haitian and Dominican people. Mm. And one of the things they did was they brought in a, a Ugon, uh, from, uh, from Haiti who did some uh, ritual drumming and they brought somebody from uh, 21 divisions in the Dominican Republic to do some drumming. Cool. And what they found as they're doing the drumming is like, you call these things different. You say they're different, but you hear the, the drums, these drums, <laughs> they're beating the exact same way. Yeah. Right. The drums, they, there's a rhythm that we both recognize. And so that that's, what I would say that that that's how that looks. Right? You might have some healing circles where somebody's leading people through a Tanzanian like dance. You might have mm-hmm. some where somebody's leading people through a an affirmation from a poet from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. But again, the rhythms, what people are pushing towards, it, it's it's recognizable. And so we have those where people move through that based on their level of comfort. Some people have various relationships with spirit, with religion, what that looks like. Uh, and people bring themselves to a conversation to share how they understand these things, share what's on their hearts, what's on their minds. Mm. And we kind of close with, um, yeah, being being together with, with another, uh, maybe like a healing strategy that that is impactful for people. And then we'll, we'll move on with people's days. That's awesome. And are these things occurring kind of pretty regularly, you know, like do folks can folks like, or is it sort of, Oh yeah. Know, you know so I mean? yeah. this would be my advertisement. Hey, listen, yeah, if you please. are listening to this podcast <laughs> and you are a black or a black identified person, you can attend a healing circle every, what is it? Monday and Thursday at 6 30 PM Eastern time. Like we have <laughs> the links, please, please. Uh, yeah. We, we, we host them regularly. Yeah. At a minimum, they're available two times a week. Uh, at times they're available four to five times a week. So we hold these regularly. So it's it's the exactly what we're talking about. We, we have a system of mental health care that is so profit-based, that is so bottlenecked, that is restrictive, yeah. that's often discriminatory. And so the healing circles are a vision for an alternative type of system, right? One, one that's free, one that's based, one, one that's based in a space that you kind of you you, you co-create mm-hmm. that exists outside the bounds of uh, these traditional models of control that are framed as care. So that's uh, that's that's the hope. That's the dream. We're gonna keep trying to build that. So are these virtual or still, or are they in person? They are now virtual. Or? They're virtual, and so the Salbona Healing Circles are a virtual model okay. available uh, again two times a week. Right. The emotional emancipation circles, which are hosted through the Community Healing Network, are an in-person version of the model. Mm. So you go to the Community Healing Network uh, website and you can find, okay, where are people in my area trained? Are people in my area trained? I'll get trained and I could host these in my area in person. So in these virtual ones, and these are people from all over the place that are coming together. Mm, exactly. Wow, that's awesome. Awesome. And so how many people might you get in like one circle, like at, at, at a given time? I mean, obviously it varies, but from day to day, but. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes we'll do them because their initial goal, right, is is a crisis response model. 
So following a, a large crisis, so right. after you know, several police killings, mm. uh, we did one after the Haitian president was assassinated, um, again, following the crisis for African refugees in Ukraine, like all, all these different things, mm-hmm. we'll host a, a circle, a public circle, let everybody know what's going on. And so in those, we might get somewhere around 60 to 70, uh, 80 people kind of you know, wow. coming through, passing yeah. through um, in our kind of a large one. So we'll have a lot of healers ready on deck to kind of collaboratively carry that load. Yeah. In, in the day-to-day ones, it's usually not more than five to six uh, people. That's amazing. That just sounds awesome. Um, something to behold. You know, I had a guy on the podcast, and I know it's not the same context, but I fell on the podcast a, a while back. And I find I'm quoting him almost or talking about him in every episode that I do. Uh, it's episode 37, guy named Grant Bruno, um, Canadian guy, indigenous guy from, uh, from kind of central Alberta in Canada. And uh, he's, uh, he's a PhD student. University of Alberta, and he's doing work in, and he's got, and he's a, he's a, a parent of two uh, young autistic boys, um, mm-hmm. and uh, his research is kind of on autism, on perceptions of autism in in First Nations communities in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, not not perceptions, sorry, just autism in First Nations communities in general, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the work he's doing. Uh, and I don't know a lot about about what what they are specifically, but sounds quite similar in that he's they they they're doing kind of these these community circles, the uh, men's mm-hmm. circles. Uh, I, th- I think they they may even call them healing circles. Some of them, yeah. um, and uh, and it's very it's super obviously super based in ceremony and in culture and in in song and 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 drum and dance um, and uh, really kind of sounds similar. And I think all all of the so I think you already talked about these, but are these based in sort of um, um, things that folks were doing historically for years and years in other countries, or are these something that you kind of developed? Yeah, so that's exactly the point, right, is uh, I was talking with Enola Aird and Nell Prem recently. They're two people who have been foundational in the, the development of the emotional emancipation circles uh, mm. back in the early 2000s. Yeah. And they were saying like, no, people have been doing circles forever. Yeah. Right. Uh, people have been healing in circle forever. People have been in ceremony in circle forever, like, as long as there have been people. Yeah. So what's novel about this is to what we keep bouncing back towards right, is introducing maybe some more discipline specific language, mm. right? introducing, uh, I mean, we're, we are also a part of history. And so what are our traditions, what are our ceremonies? How do we understand healing as people who are alive in this moment? And so we introduce mm. that to some of the right songs that have been around for generations, some of the prayers that have been around for generations, the music that's been around for decades. Um, the, the way that we kind of co-form the space is based in you know who we are right now. So that's what we introduce. Uh, a lot of the people who also do them are just because it's coming out of the Association of Black Psychologists are traditionally trained in psychology or act or actively graduate student. But I I wouldn't want to say again, like this is like a new separate, you know, distinct yeah. uh, thing. You know, it's, it's, it's 
again, a space that's co-formed by the particular people who are, at the end of the day, we're all seeking to heal. Well, I think the name of it itself even sort of just gives you that sort of image of kind of, you know, the days before, you know, mm-hmm. all, all these problems kind of started and, uh, you know, and, and sort of the connections to, you know, just generations and generations of ancestors and, and elders and, 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 you know, the narrative of community and, and, uh, you know, all these pieces. I, I loved that for you early on, it was the, the qualitative research that kind of drew you in, um, you know, cause mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been learning more and more about, I've I've known about sort of the of the power and and sort of you know necessity of storytelling in indigenous communities um and as well as sort of you know some of the the matriarchal and uh, you know elder kind of relationships um and only recently learned uh, that all these things existed in the black community as well uh mm-hmm. and that and that again storytelling you know you know, has been and and still is, you know, been, you know, kind of one of the most powerful ways of 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 connecting people. In fact, I had a I had a I had an amazing still to this day, the best I, I've never read a master's thesis from beginning to end because they're like 200 pages long and, and they're hard. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but from the best master's thesis I've ever read um, and it, you know, from from end to end, I hope I hope she publishes it one day. It was by a young woman in North Texas, a, a, be, a young behavior analyst. Her name is uh, Buki Akinwale. Um, mm. I think she was originally from uh, uh, Zimbabwe, um, and uh, she uh, she wrote this. Her 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 thesis was on. She called it "Tales from Moonlight." From the moonlight, and it was a storytelling intervention where she taught to. So there's this area in in, in Denton, Texas, kind of southwest Denton, I think, um, that was called Quakerville, um, mm-hmm. and and I guess it was a, one of these historic black communities that kind of got erased, much like um, mm-hmm. you know Seneca Village in New York and and, and uh, you know and, and Oklahoma and others. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, there was this, there was this elder, this woman, and I can't remember her name now, um, uh, 94, I think, um, who, who was, who, who grew up in that ville, in that Quaker, in that Quaker, Quakerville or Quaker town or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and she taught, Buki taught this eight-year-old girl, this 10-year-old girl, um, using some kind of behavior analytic stuff, um, how to engage in storytelling with this 94 year old mm. elder and how to ask her questions about um, her, her upbringing, how to address her, um, uh, um, um, how to, you know, and, 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 you know, tell me about Quaker town, tell me about your life there. Tell me about what you did sort of these set questions. And then the next part was for them to sort of like a book report, almost kind of reiterate it back to someone else to see if they kind of, you know, were listening and were able to, bring back the facts and it's full of photos and and uh and and uh of, of sort of bigger town of the day and of of of, uh, of the two young girls with this, this elder woman and it's just yeah it was it was 
for me, it was just such an eye opener to sort of see this power because it also talked about the history of storytelling and how her growing mm -hmm. up in Zimbabwe, coming over to America, having this sort of perception of kind of black history living in Zimbabwe, thinking how it was going to be in in the States until she got here, uh, equating mm -hmm. it to kind of, uh, I think it was uh, Maya Angelou when she went over to yeah. Africa and she was expecting to be welcomed with open arms and it was like, we don't mm -hmm. even care who you are, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and just, just this, this, the, the, this, and talking about sort of the, how storytelling, you know, really just sort of, literally kept people alive during slavery um because folks weren't allowed to read or write or or learn or learn to read or write or whatever um um anyway i'm i, I ramble on here but it's a, the 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 power of of just sharing each other's stories and sharing each other's spirit um 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 is so evident in 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 black history and black culture mm -hmm. and you know, something we could all learn from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. No. I'm in I'm in full agreement. Um just this as like a note is uh on my on my Twitter, it's uh and how I explain like the discipline of my interest is you know black liberation psychology. Mm. And that's the nature of it. You know, some people understand. Black liberation as you know, like liberation specifically of Black people. There are other mm. people, and I love the tradition of um, you know one of my jagnas, Linda Janis Myers, understands it as like you know, through the, the the intelligences, through the wisdoms, the spirits of Black peoples, you you can free the world. Mm. And so there's this other tradition that exists. I was reading an article by this dope scholar Dewey Hewitt who, who mm. talked about that that within a lot of early Black liberation movements, it was also a project, again, that understood itself as rescuing the world from some type of apocalypse, whether that be apocalypse due to you know, uh, the war resulting from imperialism. In this mm -hmm. context, we're really focused on like, the, the damage to the climate and, and land, right? It's understanding that a lot of these positionalities, a lot of these subjectivities, People are pulling from this history to not just liberate themselves, but to liberate the collective. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Evan, my cup is full. Um, this has been... <laughs> and I told you I was nervous kind of coming into this interview. Um, I think because, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, starting to kind of venture outside of my own discipline and, and mm. talk about things that, you know, I don't know about, or I talk about things that I think I know about, but I clearly don't, yeah. you know, um, which I think is, you know, my great joy of doing this, this, this kind of work is, is just to talking to people and, 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 and learning and learning new things and learning, you know, how, how cool the world can be, um, mm. um, uh, you know, and, and just some of the, the brilliant ideas and work that's happening. I, I'm, yeah, I got so many thoughts here that I, I just kind of want to put on paper and, and, and start looking into more and read more about and, 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 and connect more about, but, uh, you've blown me away today. Uh, you know, first your, just your, your passion and your, your joy and your sort of just, um, you know, from the very beginning of, of sort of your days, kind of getting into this field to, to, to kind of the work you're doing now, 
um, you know, is magic um, and uh, Mm -hmm. and powerful. And I think it's going to resonate a lot with a lot of people. And I think I'm sure it already does right now. It clearly does with, you know, with these the the, the healing circles and so many other good things you're doing. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Um, uh, and, uh, I hope, I really do hope we can have you back again to, to talk again. Hey, listen, I love talking to you. I mean, listen, thank you for inviting me. I tell people all the time, I'm a, I'm a mega nerd. <laughs> so getting to talk about the stuff that I love for two hours with somebody who's yeah. also interested is it's yeah. a great way. Nice. It's better afternoon. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks again for coming on. And your, your joy and your sort of just. Um, you know, from the very beginning of, of sort of your days, kind of getting into this field to, to, to kind of the work you're doing now, um, you know, it, it is magic um, and uh, mm-hmm. and powerful. And I think it's going to resonate a lot with a lot of people. And I think I'm sure it already does right now. It clearly does with, you know, with these the, the, the healing circles and so many other good things you're doing. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Um, uh, and, uh, I hope, I really do hope we can have you back again to, to talk again. Hey, listen, I love talking to you. I mean, listen, thank you for inviting me. I tell people all the time, I'm a, I'm a mega nerd. <laughs> so getting to talk about the stuff that I love for two hours with somebody who's yeah. also interested is it's yeah. a great way. Nice. It's better afternoon. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks again for coming on.